Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's my favorite day of the week, First Amendment Friday. It doesn't bring the week to an end. It is my favorite because we open up the phone lines and everybody's allowed to comment on whatever you'd like to talk about. That's why we'd like you to exercise your First Amendment freedoms here in America before the powers that be in Washington, D.C. take them away because they're certainly working on that. Let me tell you a couple of things, and then I want to get into something that's just come down involving Hunter Biden, the laptop from hell, and, of course, Joe Biden, and a stunning admission made by the Department of Justice about the laptop from hell and what the FBI knew about it at the time that everybody was calling the laptop from hell story in the fall of 2020, right before the election. They were all calling it a lie or Russian disinformation, all of that. And the FBI knew that wasn't true. But let me get into the proof of that in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And if you want to join what we call every day of the week and twice on First Amendment Friday, uh, the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with me, that's okay. You're more than welcome. 866 866- Four three nine five two seven seven. We'll put you right to the front of the list if you're a naysayer. If you'd rather email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our Twitter poll for a First Amendment Friday. Boy, this is fun because you hear us say, go woke, go broke. And if you want a great practical example of that, not Anheuser-Busch and their crazy beer ad with that transgender no, this one, this one hits at the heart of the American mainstream. Did Sports Illustrated kill its own brand with trans men on the swimsuit edition? Now, am I a regular subscriber to SI? I tell you I don't follow sports, so no, I'm not. Do I buy the swimsuit edition? No, I don't. It's just never been my thing. But an awful lot of men did. And then guess what happened? They put a transgender, a man dressed up as a woman in a swimsuit on the cover of the 2023 swimsuit edition. Ordinarily, the swimsuit edition is one of the most popular parts of Sports Illustrated. She was only the second out transgender woman to appear on the cover. That was Kim Petras. And then there was model and actress Lena Bloom, who was the first who was on the cover in 2021. Well, it's as though Sports Illustrated decided to commit corporate suicide. Guess what just came down today? Sports Illustrated staff has reportedly been told there will be mass layoffs. The email came out today. It's the latest crisis engulfing the iconic sports publication, as not the B reports, that was also accused of publishing stories using artificial intelligence just a few months ago. But I think the death knell of Sports Illustrated... When you tell a bunch of men who follow sports, by the way, we got this swimsuit edition, and sometimes we had to have attractive women on the cover, and sometimes we have men who appear to be attractive women on the cover. How did you think that was going to go over? I mean, did they even go to one of those focus groups and say, hey, guys, what do you think? If we put a man in a swimsuit, a women's swimsuit, on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, is that going to go over well? Did they get anybody to say yes to that? 
In any case, we've asked the question today, did Sports Illustrated kill its own brand with trans men on the swimsuit edition? I'd say yes, even though, as I met, I always try and tell you uh, transparency. I try to tell you uh, if I have a dog in the fight, I don't subscribe, and it's not been one of my regular purchases over the years. But you can find today's Twitter poll or X poll, as we're calling it now, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, our website. It's always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in. So I joined a long time, years and years ago. You can join too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. And guess what? China has just created a strain of COVID with a 100% kill rate. Is that good for anybody? I don't think so. But the story, New York Post reporting, in a Wuhan-esque study, Chinese scientists are experimenting with a mutant COVID-19 strain. Hey, what could go wrong with that? That is 100% lethal to humanized mice. Those are mice that are used in the lab so that if they test some new procedure, drug, or process, uh, that they can tell how's this going to affect people. The deadly virus known as GXP2V, I think they make them deliberately hard to say, attacked the brains of mice that were engineered to reflect the genetic makeup similar to people. Brand new study out of Beijing, the deadly virus is a mutated version of GX2017, which is a coronavirus cousin reportedly discovered in Malaysian pangolins. I thought the pangolins were never going to rear their ugly heads again. As you remember, uh, what, back when they were still trying to push the idea that the virus out of China, the China virus, could not possibly have come from the virus lab in Wuhan, China. Remember when they were trying to push that nonsense? And they said it might have been the wet market where people buy living animals and then take them home for dinner, uh, not to eat dinner with them, but to be dinner, that they said, well, maybe it's a pangolin. You know what? I have to admit, the pandemic introduced me to pangolins. I have no idea. I had no idea before that. They're kind of a scaly ant eater. But now they've figured out how to make a completely 100% lethal version of COVID-19. Now, just remember that America played a part in this, not knowingly, but with Dr. Anthony Fauci and all these jokers at EcoHealth Alliance and all these other companies. Remember that we told you that Barack Hussein Obama said this uh, gain-of-function nonsense where they take viruses and they say, this virus doesn't currently infect humans or hurt humans. Let's see if we can make it infect humans and hurt humans, and let's use taxpayer dollars to do it. Even somebody like Barack Hussein Obama said, I'm not having that stuff happening in in America. It's one of the few things that I would agree with President Obama about, and that is... Don't do that kind of research. Well, apparently some of the scientists, including Fauci and company, decided, well, what the president meant was if we can't do this deadly virus research to see if we can amp up viruses that don't infect humans so they do infect humans, when he said don't do it here, he meant, oh, why don't you take it to a communist country like China one that is doing military biological research, and why don't you do the research there instead? And in fact, the brilliance of Dr. Fauci, let the NIH actually take American taxpayer dollars and put that to work as well. Okay, so he got that on the agenda on First Amendment Friday as well. And then, 
I got to tell you this. The news just broke that the Department of Justice, the Joe Biden Department of Justice, has had to admit that the FBI knew all along that the laptop from hell, the one that Hunter Biden said is not my laptop, and Joe Biden said, oh, no, that laptop's full of Russian disinformation. The FBI has known since it took the machine into its possession in 2019 that that machine was Hunter Biden's machine. How did they know that? Because he had one of those AI or Apple cloud accounts where it mimics whatever's on your computer. They'd compared Hunter Biden's Apple account to his laptop. They were identical. The result is they knew it was Hunter's laptop. They knew it was not Russian disinformation. And James Comey and company allowed Americans to be lied to by the likes of Joe Biden and a lot of other people on the left. Back in a moment. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. Hi. Can't get enough Lars? Follow him on Twitter at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. If you want to jump into the best conversation, it's right here every day. And, of course, on First Amendment Friday, every subject is fair game. And naysayers always go first at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And vote in our poll on X, used to be called the Twitter poll, did Sports Illustrated kill its own brand with trans men on the swimsuit edition. They did it a couple of years, not in a row, 2021 and then 2023. Last year, uh, go woke, go broke seems to be something that works for just about every kind of business, whether it's uh, Target, whether it's Anheuser-Busch, and now it apparently is Sports Illustrated, which today sent out an email laying off its entire staff, not just the folks who work on the swimsuit edition, but its entire staff. So absolutely amazing. It seems so foolish that you'd think after a while, uh, in some ways, it kind of it's like watching a horror movie where the, the characters in the movie keep doing stupid things and getting themselves into greater and greater amounts of trouble. Despite all the warning signs in the world, they just keep going down that path, whatever it is. And there are a lot of American companies that are doing that right now. But on a First Amendment Friday... We talk a lot about illegal aliens on this program because it is an existential threat to the United States. And, of course, Joe Biden, uh, now just uh, short of three years in, in office, has now allowed, actually facilitated, the illegal entry of 10 million illegal aliens. And God forbid that guy gets reelected. We'll probably see another two or three million this year. And then in four more years of Joe Biden or God help us, Kamala Harris, we'd probably see another 10 million illegal aliens enter this country. It's creating crime problems. It's creating financial problems. You can see that New York City, and I'm going to go into detail on this a bit later, I've been telling you that as these big cities are seeing large numbers of illegal aliens, and they say, well, we have to provide them with housing and food and medical care, and of course they bring crime and disease problems as well, they're diverting resources from their own citizens to serve the needs of people who are not even supposed to be in the country. But consider this. National Review did a great story talking about what a problem this creates in health care. And I'm going to tell you why you should not expect to see a lot of reporting on this. Because if I went to a hospital and I said, 
Hey, listen, I'd like to know how many illegal aliens went through your emergency room in the last week. Number one, they would probably tell me we don't know. Number two, they would say, well, we don't keep track of whether somebody is legally in the country or not legally in the country. It's going to be a problem that's going to be very, very hard to detect by looking at the system. And add that to HIPAA, you know, the Health Privacy Act, and you're going to say the, the doctors and nurses and hospitals and clinics are all going to say, we can't tell you. But I will tell you this, the story, and I thought it was great reporting, a hospital system in Denver is warning local lawmakers that it is on the brink of collapse due to financial pressures created by what the media is calling the migrant crisis. Well, these aren't just migrants. They are people who are migrating illegally into the country. Denver Health recorded 20,000 visits from 8,000 Central American migrants just in 2023 for everything from dental emergencies to mental health counseling. The Denver Post had the story. Denver figures that more than 36,000 illegals, many of them from Venezuela, have arrived in the city since December of 2022, so about 13 months. In 13 months, you have 36,000 illegal aliens. That's about 3,000 a month arriving in the city. And, of course, they're all going to demand housing, demand jobs, demand resources to stay alive, and they're going to demand health care. Half of those so-called migrants have now decided to put down roots in the city, as uh, National Review reports. The influx created a $2 million loss for the hospital system last year, following a $35 million loss the year before. The hospital lost $136 million in 2023 because of patients who don't pay, including millions spent on illegal aliens. So if you think to yourself, well, I've heard Lars talk about this illegal alien problem, but it hasn't come home to me. I mean, after all, you're seeing it primarily in the southern states like Arizona and Texas, and you're seeing it uh, as illegal aliens are put on buses and airplanes and they're taken to you know places like Martha's Vineyard. And then, of course, the Biden administration has been filling our airports with illegal aliens who the TSA is now telling them, you don't have to have a picture ID. You're a first class citizen. American citizens, they're the second-class citizens because an American who shows up at the airport has to provide a picture ID to be able to get on that plane. Illegal aliens, and the TSA is doing this so openly, they've actually posted signs saying that if you're not legally in the country, all you have to do is tell the TSA, I'm not here legally, and here's what I told the Border Patrol is my name and my date of birth and my other biological information, which means that illegal aliens who often throw away their picture ID before they cross our border, before they enter the United States, because they want to tell Border Patrol that they are somebody that they're not. So what does the TSA ask for? They ask for the illegal alien to tell them the name that was given to the CBP, the Border Patrol. And all they have to do is say, oh, I told the Border Patrol my name is John Jones and I'm from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, one of the uh, countries where we've uh, the Biden administration has been offering up sanctuary or refugee status. So we're allowing people to fly on airplanes by merely quoting back the name they gave to the Border Patrol with no proof whatsoever of who that person is. 
And in some ways, I'm amazed that Americans have not become absolutely apoplectic about the fact that nobody likes going to the airport and going through TSA. I mean, I I understand the purpose for them being there. I'm always very cooperative with the TSA agents. I'm not disparaging them. But nobody likes that process. And, of course, nobody likes the prospect that if at some point you're taking a flight somewhere and you show up at the airport and you don't have your passport or your picture ID, you're not getting on the plane. Now, that's what Americans are told. But now we're being informed by the Biden administration, by the, through the TSA, telling us at the airport, if you're an American citizen, the rules apply to you. If you can't show us a picture ID, you ain't getting on that airplane. And then simultaneously telling people who have no legal right to be in this country at all, if you're showing up and you're not a citizen, why, you don't have to have picture ID to get on the airplane. Now, imagine how crazy that is. But then imagine this. Even if you think this illegal alien problem has not shown up in your city, it may be that your local hospital is now losing millions of dollars because of illegal aliens who are coming into the hospital to get free health care. Only it's not really free. At the end of the day, either the hospital figures out a way to make Americans pay through their insurance, through their medical bills, force the Americans to pay the cost. And if that can't happen, well, Health Denver Health is warning its lawmakers, we're on the brink of financial collapse. We're on the brink of bankruptcy because of the huge weight of illegal aliens who are showing up at the hospital. And that one number really struck home to me that Denver Health said it recorded 20,000 visits from about 8,000 Central American migrants, illegal aliens, in 2023. So they show up, they say, I want health care. They get it. And and they're getting an average of two and a half visits for every illegal alien who shows up to the hospital. And you're going to pay the bill. You're going to pay it one of two ways. Either one, you're going to pay more for the health care that you get. You might pay it a third way. You're going to pay it through your health insurance premiums, which are going to go up and will provide a direct subsidy back to people who have no right to be in the country. Or number three, number three, the hospital will simply raise the prices it charges to everybody else. Now, imagine that healthcare system being destroyed by the weight of illegal aliens that Joe Biden aided and abetted coming across the border. And guess what? Joe's buddies in the Mexican and drug and human trafficking cartels, they're making tens of billions of dollars off this illicit business, and Joe Biden isn't doing a damn thing about it. And yes, do I think that Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas ought to be impeached for that? Yep, and put Joe Biden in line right behind him. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show. Next disaster is coming. Your radio too far away? 
Just tell Alexa, play the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. It's First Amendment Friday, and your calls are always welcome at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X, used to be called the Twitter poll, did Sports Illustrated just kill its own brand by putting trans men on the cover of the swimsuit edition a couple of years, 2021 and 2022. Just today, Sports Illustrated sent out an email notifying its entire staff that the publication was laying everybody off all at once. You can find the X poll at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in, so I joined years ago. You can go to amac.us to join or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Let's go first to Bob. Hey, Bob, it's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Yeah, Lars, um, people need to realize uh, we've got a, a drug problem in this country, and I don't mean by the drug smugglers and stuff, but our normal pharmaceuticals, there's a huge shortage of uh, pain relievers, uh, antibiotics, and uh, other other drugs that people really need. And Yep. Uh, I've been calling around, and, and the pharmacies and the insurance companies say it may be two or three months for some of these uh, painkillers to come back on the market, if they do, and people can't uh, can't do that. The hospitals are going to get get swamped, and they're going to run out. I'm wondering where all this is going. Well, is it, are they tell, when you call around? Are they telling you that it's supply chain, and they're saying yeah. it is, or are they telling you that, that the drugs have been made unavailable for some other reason? Uh, basically, they're just saying it's, it's supply chain, and, and their suppliers can't tell them when for sure they will get any more. Uh, That's kind of frightening, isn't it? Because over the last three years, especially during the pandemic, we would hear about shortages of one kind or another, and we'd inquire, and sometimes sometimes there were sensible explanations. But it sounds like we still have a massive supply chain problem in this country. And I think ultimately one of the answers has got to be, Bob, that, that they have to make a lot more of not just the drugs, but the precursors that become the drugs. They got to make them here in, in, in the United States instead of making them in China and India. And I know there's a price differential, but I have to believe, having talked to some of the experts in the area, that the price differential is not gigantic for the things like the precursors and all. And, and frankly, I think it'd be a great industry to have come back to our shores. So I appreciate the heads up about the problem. Thank you. And I'll see if we can get somebody who has some expertise as to exactly what's causing the problem. If they're aware that there's a supply problem, is it being corrected or is it just being patched up to be good enough? Thanks for the call. Let's go to Thomas. Hey, Thomas, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind on First Amendment Friday? Hi, Lars. Just wondered if uh, you ever found any evidence of... Uh voter fraud in 2020 election? Yeah, we sure did. Can I give you a good example that's just come to light this week? And we had the gentleman on from Data Productions, which is out of Georgia in, in particular. And what he did was he massages data for a bunch of different, you know, he does it as a living, but he does it for campaigns and others. And what he found, and he just now beat the charges that were brought against him where there were people accusing him of trying to engage in election interference, 
All he did was he took the lists of all the people who had voted. And Georgia law, I think sensibly, says if you are registered, say, in Atlanta, and then you decide to move somewhere else, they give you about a 30-day window. But if you've moved to some other place than other than Atlanta, you need to change your voter registration. If you don't, and you go ahead and vote the ballot from Atlanta, and it's, say, 60 days later, you're actually committing a felony crime. Well, they found 36,000 instances of that in the Georgia 2020 presidential election. He also looked at the 2021 election, the one that happened in January to fill the two U.S. Senate seats, and he found the same people voting, even though they had given notice, I have moved, I've moved to a new address, it's been more than 30 days. That means those 36,000 votes were illegal votes. Now, the margin in 2020 between Joe Biden and Donald Trump was just a hair under 12,000 votes. So they found almost three times the number of illegal votes. So if you want a specific example, there it is. Any examples before that? Before that, when? In no, other um, elections? Well, well, there were 60 uh, court cases. And then now, you, now you're reading the Democrat talking points. Do you know how most of those cases were decided, Thomas? And it's uh, some on technicalities. Well, t- the technicality meaning that if you brought a complete, let's say you had a court case and you knew for a fact that it was 100% legit, but you filed it in the wrong venue or the judge decided you had no standing to bring that lawsuit, they wouldn't even look at the nature of your complaint. They wouldn't look at whether or not what you're alleging is true or not. They'd say, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong venue. You don't have standing, any of those reasons. So those 60 cases, and it's a great Democrat talking point, they say, well, they looked at what happened in the election. No, they didn't. If you file a complaint about an election and they never look at the substance of the case, they just say, you, you don't have standing to bring this suit, then they never look at the case itself. So I know you're going to go back to those talking points, but the fact is there is evidence of fraud in the 2020 election. So I appreciate the question. Let's go to Danny. Hey, Danny, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hey, Lars, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, quick question for you. So yeah. I'm, I'm a conservative guy. I don't watch news anymore locally because i think most of it's bs i understand so my question are, are, my question is this are there conservative people in the media on the local news that have to tell the left-wing news even though they're conservative people the short answer is that yes the, the short answer okay. is is yes and uh, and the longer answer i can give you if you like sure okay So, first of all, the way I worked in TV news for about 20 years, I was conservative the whole time. But I was also aware the people around me would look at my approach to stories and say, you know, we we don't like that. And I'd say, I don't care if you don't like it. I'm going to report the story honestly. And I kept my opinion out of my reporting. But if you're a conservative in a newsroom, uh, you have a couple of choices. One is stick around and kind of toe the line. And report the stories the way your management wants you to report them. I would not do that. And there are a number of good examples. Cheryl Atkinson is a great reporter. She now has her own show. She went independent because she left one of the major networks. I think it was CBS and said, look, 
you won't let me report these stories, and they are stories, so I'm going to leave. And that's happened to a number of people who said uh, the environment of most TV newsrooms, newspaper newsrooms, not as much radio, but but the other two, uh, you'll find a number of examples of people who said, if you're not going to let me report the stories, I'll go elsewhere. I mean, John Solomon, who you hear on this show uh, almost every week, is a great example of a guy who worked for the Wall Street Journal, he worked for other major publications, and when they decided, uh, we're not going to let you report these stories, he went out and he went independent. But there, I know that there are people who work in TV newsrooms uh, and newspaper newsrooms who keep their politics to themselves, and they understand, if I want to come in and pitch a story, uh, you know, to the assignment desk or to the news director or the editor, uh, they're not going to, you know, you'll walk in, you'll say, this is a great story, and they'll say, thanks, we're not interested. And, and at that point, what are you going to do? If you want to keep your job, you say, okay, I'll report the stories you want the way you want them. The courageous reporters leave, the others stay and keep the paycheck, and that's the short answer. Thanks for the call. Back in just a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. In a moment, we're going to talk about do we really need to send aid to Ukraine for them to win this war. We'll talk with our friend Michael Bernstam up next. Sayers go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly. But first, I want to bring back my friend Michael Bernstam, research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford and an expertise in international economics, the former Soviet Union and Russian politics in general. Uh, Professor, good to have you back. Thank you, Lars. Always a pleasure being with you. Where are we going to be if the United States and others decide that uh, we're just simply not going to keep on funding the war in Ukraine or not as much as we have up to this point? Because Joe Biden, you know, Joe Biden this week on Wednesday, uh, wanted to talk to top congressional leaders about his request, not only for Ukraine, but for Israel as well. And then he tied in border security, too. But there may be a question mark about whether or not this this money continues the way it has for about the last uh, almost two years now. Uh, the war critically depends on this money uh, because the Ukrainians are naturally outnumbered. The ratio of soldiers is four to one. Ukraine is exhausted. And the only way it can uh, sustain this war is Western, with Western help uh, because Western weaponry and Western equipment are much, much uh, higher quality and much more, much better than the Russians. So otherwise, uh, Ukraine uh, may, uh, by the end of uh, this year or earlier, may fall, and the war may expand, uh, 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 expand further. But there is another side to it, and the side is that very much depends not just on Western aid, money aid to Ukraine, but on the price of oil. And the United States is already helping Ukraine and helping uh, the West in general by expanding tremendously oil production. Now we produce 13.2 million barrels a day. Uh, Next year, this year, I mean for the 2024, it will be 14 million barrels a day. Oil prices will decline all over the world. OPEC will be ousted as a price maker. And the Russian coffers 
to finance the war will be much weaker because Russia finds, funds this war from oil. Well, you understand, Michael, that uh, that this actually is delicious for me because Joe Biden, who came into office and actively waged war on the fossil fuel business, is having to do the thing that he didn't want to do, and that is basically adopt the Trump policy on energy to f- fund his other uh, his other uh, venues uh, like like Ukraine. That's the best thing that the Biden administration has done uh, with oil, with natural gas. Natural gas prices uh, are now lower. They're under uh, $300 per thousand cubic uh, meters. It is lower than before the war. And the oil prices are now about $78 uh, per barrel, which is, again, the same as before the war. And they will be even lower because uh, this uh, Red Sea uh, bombing by the Houthis at three, four, five dollars per barrel because uh, ships have to go around the Horn instead of going through the Suez Canal through the Red Sea. But this will be over. So generally, uh, kind of in a sense, I'm not trying to uh, be, uh, to exaggerate, but the fate of the war to a significant extent will be decided not in Washington and not in Kiev, but in the Permian basis and in Western Texas. <laughs> and that's kind of nice, isn't it? You know, but 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 again, Boy, the fa- remarkable. Well, you know, all of us who argued for more drilling and argued against Joe Biden as a candidate when he said he was willing to put hundreds of thousands of Americans out of work if necessary to shut down the fossil fuel business. The guy who in his State of the Union got laughed at by Republicans in Congress when he said we won't even need oil in 10 years. This guy seems to have no connection to reality, and now he has to realize that the very actions he took on the very first day in office are working against him today, and he's going to have to go back to the Trump policy. Precisely, and it saves lives, it saves the West, it saves Western economies, it benefits poor countries tremendously because for them oil is the most important thing for economic development, they cannot afford expensive energy, and it is a lifeline for poor people all over the world, and it is the American ingenuity and American technological advancement that makes it available against the efforts of the Biden administration. Professor Bernstein, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much, and have a wonderful weekend. You too, thank you. Thank you. It's First Amendment Friday to your calls now. Let's go. We always put naysayers first. Joy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thanks. Um, When you are disputing the 2020 election results, you always talk about the court cases. But I didn't today until the caller brought it up. I, I brought up the example that we have documents documentary evidence in Georgia that 35,000 illegal votes were cast by people who had moved, moved more than 30 days, uh, voted more than 30 days after they moved, and therefore, by voting, committed a crime and and cast false ballots in the 2020 election. So that didn't have to do with a court case. That had to do with the fact that the the guy who developed that, Mark Davis, uh, actually had to fight a, a case of his own because he was attacked by Stacey Abrams' group, saying, you've lied about all this. He went to court, and the judge decided he was right, that there were 36,000 illegal votes cast in the 2020 election. Does anybody on the left side of the aisle give a damn when we have a major election that's decided in part by tens of thousands of illegal votes? Well, no, 
Well, what I was going to say was that each of these states have performed two or three of their own audits, and they have come up that there was not the fraud that would change the election, and it happened in 22. They also have investigative criminal fraud um, groups that they've formed at the state level, and they have not proven that there was fraud. So See, I guess I would look at the election, and most of these are Republican states, so I would look at the election, election results and, and look at the people who were actually holding the elections in the states. Okay, but Joy, Joy to, some, of the, some of the audits you've talked about are recounts. Now, do you know why a recount is not a great measure of whether or not it was a fraudulent election? Do you understand well, they, why? Well, if it was fraudulent the first time, then they're going to recount it no, the same no, way. But let me tell, yeah, it's going to, and so when I tell you that there's Mark Davis out of Georgia who says we've got the records, there's state records that show 35,000 people cast ballots that were cast illegally. And the difference between Biden and Trump was only less than 12, 12,000. So, when but, you say that, if you did, recount they those vote twice, right? They didn't vote twice. They voted illegally. Voting. No, but if but if you have a greater number of illegal votes than the difference between the two candidates, the the election is is null and void. But it depends on you know if they went to to college or if there were other reasons, they can still do an absentee ballot in their. They home. can if they do an absentee ballot. But what this man is saying is they've got state records that show 35,000 people had moved more than 30 days before the election and cast ballots anyway from their old address, which means the vote was illegal, the act of voting was a crime, and the election was a fraud. I mean, that seems pretty clear and simple to me. Joy, thanks for the call. It's First Amendment Friday. The Lars Larson Show. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. And First Amendment Friday, my favorite day of the week. We open up the phone lines, and I'm going to get to calls here in just a moment. At 866-HEY-LARS, that's 866-439-5277. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line, uh, right here on the Lars Larson Show. We've done that for more than a quarter century. We're going to keep on doing it as long as I'm here. And if you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. And you may want to vote in our our poll on X. We decided to do kind of a light one for First Amendment Friday. Did Sports Illustrated kill its own brand by putting trans men on the cover of the swimsuit edition as women, but men in uh, men in women's swimsuits? Okay, didn't work out so well. Go woke, go broke, as they say. And today, an email went out today notifying everybody at Sports Illustrated, not just the swimsuit crew that they were all being laid off, all simultaneously. 
So did they kill their own brand by putting trans men on the swimsuit edition? You can find the X-Pole at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC. Join a great conservative group I've belonged to for years. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. One thing I want to mention before I go to calls, and heck, we've already got a naysayer. I love naysayers. But consider this. Does the left actually think that taxpayer money just comes out of thin air? There's one New York lawmaker, Congressman Jamal Bowman, Democrat of New York. He wants the federal government to be held accountable for slavery and the aftermath of it. So he wants $14 trillion in reparations. I mean, the current entire federal budget is $6 trillion, and we don't have the money to fund that. And he wants basically two and a half times what the current federal budget is at $14 trillion. And when he was asked, how is this going to work? He said the government can invest the same way in reparations without raising taxes on anyone. Where did the money come from, Bowman said? We spent it into existence. In other words, if the government says you know, spend money, then you spend the money, whether you have it or not. Let's go to our first naysayer of the day, though, and that's uh, DM. Hey, DM, welcome to the program. And what, what causes you to be a naysayer? What do you and I disagree about? I disagree about your perspective with this Alex Baldwin situation and the shooting. Okay, just um, so everybody else knows what, what we're talking Hold on. Hold on, DM. Okay. Yeah, we got to bring everybody else up to speed. Today, uh, Alec Baldwin was charged with involuntary manslaughter because he was holding the gun and he pulled the trigger and the bullet that came out of that gun killed the young lady who was directing Alec Baldwin's movie called Rust. So he's now been indicted by a grand jury for involuntary manslaughter. I think he should be. Tell me why you think he shouldn't. Because he hired a so-called professional as an armorer. However, she was only hired because of the reputation of her dad. True. So they go out they go out in the desert. This is what I remember from early in this case. They go out in the desert the day before the killing and do a bunch of shooting and drinking out in the desert. They get tired of that. They throw all the guns back in the trunk of the car and go back to the studio. They unload all the guns, throw them on a cart in the studio, and go home. They're all toasted. So the next day they come back to work. The armorer did not clear the weapons. They were just set aside, and that Alex hired a professional to Alex, do a, to yeah. be a safety officer. Yeah, and she did not do her job. I agree. And in the studio, I'm sure they are all waving guns around and playing cowboy and all this stuff. But then. He picks up a gun, and as a practice, he aims it at the camera, and bang, it's got a round loaded in it from yesterday. I believe it was a revolver they're speaking of. It was. And, but and hold on. Let, let me ask you a couple of That's not his Did... fault. Just because he pulled the trigger, it's not his fault. He hired a safety officer, I, and I, she said that is already. liable for DM, not doing her job. DM, you're repeating yourself now. Let me ask you a couple of I, questions. I was he holding the gun? Certainly. Did he point it at a human being? Yes, sir. Does anybody who handles a gun, the rules I understood as a kid, is that you treat every single gun as though it's loaded, even when you know for a fact, even if you checked it yourself, you say, I know this gun isn't loaded. Do you ever point it at a human being that you don't intend to shoot? I do not. 
Okay, so he breaks the first rule of guns. He takes a gun that he has not examined himself. It was handed to him. He didn't just pick it up. He picks. He, he is handed the gun. He points the gun at a human being. He pulls the trigger. A bullet comes out, and the young lady dies. How is that not involuntary? Correct. He didn't intend to kill her. It's not murder. How is that not involuntary mans- manslaughter? Because he hired a so-called professional to make that studio safe, and she is liable because she was a total she amateur. Be, she may be she, liable. Did he cause, did his actions cause the death of that human being? Yes, but that's why. That's why well, then that's, that's the end of the story, isn't it? I mean, I understand he can defend himself in civil court and say, I paid all these people all this money to make sure it was all safe. He, he clearly, after decades of handling guns as an actor, some real guns loaded with blanks, some fake guns or prop guns loaded with blanks, but he's been handling guns for decades. Does he have any good reason not to know the basics of gun safety? Because he's an actor, not a soldier. You know what? There are plenty of actors who knew who knew and know about guns. John Wayne understood how to handle oh, a gun. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves, oh, yeah. by his, I've never met the man, but he, by a reputation, he knows guns front and back. And so this is a guy who has handled guns for decades. As an, You're right, he's an actor. But if you're going to pick up a gun, and in this case, he knew they were using real guns, not prop guns. But even prop guns, oh, yeah. we know, can kill you can kill and can kill somebody else. There have been a number of instances where people using prop guns loaded with blanks have still managed to kill people with them. Is it his responsibility as the producer of the movie to know what he's doing? No, it's the armor's responsibility it, to scream, stop! Oh, but, but hold, on a, hold on a second. DM, DM. He's the yep. producer. Does the buck stop on the producer's desk, the guy who hires the incompetent safety person? I, I don't know that. Well, hold on. If you're, the, if you're the producer of a movie, you're in charge of every single bit of it. You're also an actor in the movie, but you are the producer of the movie. Is it his job to know I've hired competent people? If he hires incompetent people and their incompetence coupled with his actions... Pointing the gun, pulling the trigger, caused the death. How can he evade uh, criminal responsibility? Because on the studio, now I've never been on a studio like that, but on the studio, I'm sure everybody's goofing and carrying on and practicing their lines. And who's and, and, and does the producer decide whether to tolerate that kind of misbehavior? I would say the producer is responsible and the actor is responsible, and both of them are Alec Baldwin. But good naysayer. Thanks for the call. We'll talk movies with our friend Kristen Toto in just a moment. You got the Lars Larson Show. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on First Amendment Friday. And my friend Christian Toto, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, joins us now. We talk movies all the time. How are you, Christian? I'm good. 
I just got a naysayer call, and I want to put the question to you. He says, look, Alec Baldwin now indicted for involuntary manslaughter because he pointed a gun at a woman, pulled the trigger, the bullet hit her, killed her, and I think he's guilty. I'd like your unvarnished opinion. It's such a tough story. I just read over some of the newest material, and it was an interesting bit of information, which I think has swayed the case clearly, is that they rebuilt the weapon in in question, and they said there's no other way it could have fired without the actor Alec Baldwin pulling the trigger, which he has denied from the very beginning. So that I think that helped uh, bring this case back. And... I'm still torn. You know, part of me is it is the armorer's fault for putting a bullet, a live round in that gun. But I've also learned over the last couple of years that actors have a, a an extreme responsibility when they're on the set and using weapons to take extreme caution and to go through the motions and to understand the weapon and how it works and what's going on with the with the with the weaponry. So Let's let the court decide. I mean, uh, I, I, it sounds like there's enough information here to, to put him in front of a jury. So, you know, um, yeah, it's a the, tough one to talk naysayer, about. The naysayer called in had a similar argument to yours, and that is, well, the armor was incompetent. And I said, who hired the armor? Who, dis- who yeah, made all the that, critical decisions? What was that? Go ahead. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, he was a producer on the film. So that is another extreme complication here. Yeah, because because you say, well, where does the buck stop? Well, with the guy who made all the decisions. Well, you had an incompetent armor who was hired by whom? The producer of the movie, who is also Alec Baldwin. I, I can't wait for that guy to be put on the stand if he agrees to be put on the stand. He doesn't have to go on the stand, but I kind of wonder if he doesn't want to get on the stand and say, look, it's all her fault. It's a young lady who is the armor. It just, it just strikes me that... He's going to have a tough time. If I were the prosecutor, I'd say, so, Mr. Baldwin, how long have you been handling guns, both real and prop, on mm. movie sets? And he's going to say, well, a couple of decades. Uh-huh. Do you do you think you're at least reasonably f- familiar with the rules of handling guns safely, you know, whether the staff that you hire does it or not? And he's going to say, well, yeah, and, and, and or no. <laughs> so... So you routinely go out and star in movies and handle real guns that have real blanks in them, and uh, and you just trust that the people around you will take care of that. And and then wait for one of those famous Alec Baldwin explosions, like the ones that happen <laughs> when he yells at paparazzi or cab drivers or food delivery people or whatever, and have one of those on the stand. So, Yeah, it's a great point. And also, listen, this is an independent film. Money is tight. They're looking to cut corners. They're trying to uh, make things, you know, make things happen without spending a lot of cash. And it certainly seems possible that they hired a less than adequate armorer to oversee the weapons on the set, which was obviously going to have a, quite a bit of gunplay. That is not where you pinch pennies. You just don't. That's not. That's not where you cut a corner or two. And the, the results have been tragic. The other thing I'm curious about is is that we've all heard stories from almost the beginning that there were people who were goofing around and shooting at things and drinking and, you know, and, and putting real ammunition in the guns and say, were you aware that any of that was going on? And as a producer of the movie, did you allow all this misbehavior on the set, you know, that could have led to a tragedy? And I mean, he's going to have to say, no, I was completely clueless, uh, I guess, if if he tested yeah, at all. It's another great point, and I think it seems like in Hollywood, every 20 or so years, maybe a little more, we have one of these horrible incidents. Uh, you know, the, the son of Bruce Lee, 
uh, John Eric Hexum on the set. That gosh, that might be forty years ago now or thirty five. And then, uh, then it, it's a wake up call, and everyone is uh, you know completely aware. I, I was on a movie set shortly after this happened, and I listened to some of the the talking, the 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 conversations, the orders that were on that set, and it was very specific, very clear, very uh, no nonsense. We're doing this the right way. And sometimes that's life where we just we just let down our guard a little bit, and it sounds like that that's what happened on that set. Yeah, it does. And and think about all the things on him. I I haven't been on any movies as my dad used to be. Uh, he he was an extra and a bit player in a bunch of movies. But you think about all the things on a movie set that could kill you: electricity, water, explosions, uh, collapsing buildings. I mean, there. It sounds like movies, depending on the kind of if it's not remains of the day, but it's some action movie. It's probably about fifty different things that could kill you almost any day of the week. Yeah, and there have been some close calls you've heard time after time on sets, and a lot of actors have been hurt. Uh, Harrison Ford hurt himself in the, one of the more recent Star Wars films. Uh, so things happen. Uh, you know, yeah, I think Daniel Craig got beat up pretty badly making the different Bond movies. Sylvester Stallone went to the hospital when he was making Rocky IV. It sounded serious. I mean, Dolph Lundgren just teed off on him. He wanted him to tee off on him, and he paid the price. So sometimes these actors really do put their lives at risk for the, for the art. Hey, I want you to talk about this, uh, the, this piece about conservative movies that many people may not even recognize have conservative messages built into them. Yeah, you know, listen, in a way, if you're a conservative movie fan, you've got to beg for scraps. You're not going to get a whole bunch of movies that directly speak to you. And uh, so that's, that's, <laughs> that puts us in a bit of a pinch. But when you think about other movies... If it's not a rah-rah conservative movie, some of the themes that you find within them actually do have a conservative uh, uh, kind of the DNA there. And, uh, you know, I even mentioned Beavis and Butt into the Universe, which came out, I think, a year or two ago. And there was um, uh, they, they make fun of soft on crime policies. They really skewer the whole white privilege notion. I mean, here are these two idiots who are in on paper brimming with white privilege, but of course they're the anything but privileged at all. Um, but even movies like Borat, which I thought was wonderful and funny and, and uh, subversive, you know, in a way, by making fun of the everyday American, it showed how kind and tolerant and accepting they are to all the Borat's and insanity. So, you know, I think if you can kind of look a little deeper in some of these movies, there there's something there for sure. Well, and how about you, you mentioned Call Jane as one movie I'm not familiar Oh, you know, I don't know if that was that was a more of a, a pro-abortion movie, and I, and I hadn't seen it. But I did mention movies like Barbershop, The Next Cut, and that one really had a, hey, the government's not going to help us out. We've got to band together. We need traditional values. And this is a, a film with a primarily black cast. We, you would think for their political leanings would be left of center, but not exactly. Ice Cube is one of the main stars there. So Movies can surprise you, and uh, I list a whole bunch of them at the Blaze, and I, I just started contributing to the Blaze, by the way, so because I, I don't have enough work like, like you. you <laughs> no, you need some more hats. Come on, come on, Christian, <laughs> stop being a, a deadbeat and get some more hats. You know the one I want to throw in, and it's, I have some old movies that are, that are, that are you know, but they all show how ancient I am, you know, like, like uh, Flight of the Phoenix, because Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart plays a really angry nasty guy but but he's uh -huh. but he's in the movie um but book of eli strikes me as very conservative um interesting be, you know I, I just say that because here's a man whose total devotion to delivering this package 
And at the end, we find out what, I mean, we knew what the package was generically. We didn't know it was in, well, spoiler alert, it was in Braille. Um, but but I loved the movie, and, and, and it's just, it keeps percolating in my head, and I keep finding examples of, here's this evil guy who says, I want the Bible, not because of what's in it, but because of the power you get by having possession of the last one. Mm, interesting. You know, I saw that when it first came out. I need to rewatch it, because I first of all, anything but Denzel Washington, you want to watch and watch news. So that one, yeah, then I, maybe if I have a sequel to the story, I can put that one in there. Yeah, it, just because because I think it, it carried a message. There was a man who was devoted to the Word, and then there was a man who wanted to misuse it. And there are plenty of people who want to do that these days, both Christians and non-Christians who want to re- misuse the book. And uh, Denzel Washington's uh, steadfastness was solid. Mm-hmm. And the evil guy who just wanted possession of the book because of the power it would bring, well, he didn't exactly end well. So, Christian, <laughs> thanks so much, and congrats on your new position with the Blaze. Uh, we always Thank think uh, there, it's great when you get new opportunities to read Christian Toto. Thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. That is Christian Toto, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, and now writing for the Blaze as well. Coming up in a moment, wage growth slowing, declining labor force participation. Do we really need illegal aliens in America to fill all those jobs? We'll push back on that notion next. It's First Amendment Friday. The Lars Larson Show. The sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-A-Lars. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I think since I was about 14, I've had at least one job, most of the time two jobs, for my entire life. So it seems kind of strange to me that a striking number of working-age, non-disabled young men and women are just simply not working. And so then we're told, well, we have to have a whole bunch of illegal aliens come in to do all these jobs, which, again, makes absolutely no sense to me. So I thought we'd get on Andre Barnes, who's the HBCU Engagement Director for Numbers USA, which is the nation's largest organization that focuses on immigration policy specifically. Andre, welcome back. Thank you, Lars. Great to be here. Should we be concerned about what's called the labor force participation rate, which I, I know some people misunderstand it, but it's basically the number of working age people who actually are working a job at any given point. And it's strikingly low right now, isn't it? It is very low. And the problem is, is that we have a policy problem and a PR problem. So um, the PR problem is um, Americans have been told that there are a lot of jobs that Americans just won't do. And that if um, immigrants aren't in the fields harvesting our food, if they're not in our meat packing processes um, centers um, packing our meats, if they're not out there mowing our lawns, then those things are not going to get done. But if we look at the numbers, 472 civilian jobs, of the 472 civilian jobs, there are only six 
that um, are majority immigrants. So there's just a lot of myths out there about um, this, um, this, this policy that uh, we can't survive, this, this, this myth that we can't survive without immigrants. Well, it's the, and the mythology goes on because you've got a whole bunch of illegal aliens and a few hundred thousand jobs that are in the stereotypical, uh, maybe they're even accurate as a stereotype, where the majority of the workers, you know, like you said, working in plant nurseries, working, uh, you know, uh, harvesting crops in the field and things like that. And yet the, you know, the, 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 the logic is, well, I don't care if we have illegal aliens. They're just doing jobs I'd never want to do, except they are doing a lot of jobs that Americans would like to do, construction being one of them. That's right. And here's another thing. I was blown away by this uh, CS, CIS report where um, a lot of times they're, um, they're saying that uh, Americans won't do these jobs, but um, there are many jobs thought to be overwhelmingly immigrant that are actually – um, majority uh, Americans are working the job. For uh, example, maids and housekeepers, 51% native-born. Taxi drivers and sh- chauffeurs, um, 58% native-born. Construction and laborers, 66% native-born. Porters, bellhops, concierges, 70% native-born. So the, the list goes on, but, but you're right. There's that narrative there, and there's the, the Americans are really competing or the same jobs with immigrant workers. Well, and, and Andre, am I wrong? I'm not an economics expert or anything, but I assume that if some of those jobs that we think of as stereotypically immigrant jobs or illegal alien jobs, you know, people who can really be taken advantage of because their status in the country is, is a little on the shaky side, if you said, well, you can't hire those people anymore, well, that means I'll have to hire Americans, okay? And, and they won't work for these wages. That's right. You're going to have to raise their wages. Uh, tough luck. You know, raise the wages, hire the people you need. That the employer would have to either raise the wages, which would be good for workers, Americans in That's particular, right. or they might they might actually mechanize the jobs. And some of them, it, it makes sense for them to mechanize. And the only reason they've been able to avoid mechanization is because they have all this cheap, you know, illegal alien labor uh, that that almost every president, except Trump, allowed to flow into the country almost unimpeded. Exactly. And and here's, here's the thing. There's a lot of money in, in bringing in uh, the, the cheaper labor. But you're right. It does drive down the cost. But um, I, I have this number. Immigration grows the economy. It creates a $50 billion surplus. But then it redistributes five. Hundred billion from people who compete with immigrants to people who use them, meaning yeah. people who employ these illegal immigrants, people these uh, Fortune 500, 500 companies who are getting by on um, on this cheap immigrant labor, they're benefiting from it. And um, a lot of times, what happens to Americans is that the, the federal high immigration policies have taken wealth from Americans before it's even earned. This is directly out of Roy Beck's book, Back at the Hiring Line. So if people have questions about um, can we, um, if we're in a situation where um, do we have a worker shortage, the, 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 the answer is no. We're just not utilizing the, the sources of Americans that we have that can be potentially doing the job. Andre Barnes is HBCU Engagement Director at Numbers USA. Now, Andre, you might say I have a dog in the fight with HBCU because I used to raise money for, you know, uh, the the uh, UNCF, you know, which was for historically black colleges and universities. I like that. 
You know, I, I, I know that some people have problems with him. I, you know, I don't care. Donald Trump did right by HBCU. Is this point yeah. getting across to young black Americans who are going to college that th- these kind of policies are they may not be harmful as much to the college graduates, but they're certainly harmful uh, to black Americans and, and brown Americans. And I really appreciate the question. And the short answer to your question is no, because it's not um, getting across. It's not getting across. Now, oh, wow. I'm going out there and I'm, I'm bringing the, the narrative, but I'm only I'm only one person doing this thing. I'm the only one that's bringing this message to the HBCUs. And I'm, I'm looking for more opportunities to get out there to uh, more HBCUs. But when I went to the, um, the students and I asked them questions about what's going on currently in the, the country at, at our border, they had no idea what was going on in Texas. They had no idea what was going on in Chicago with the uh, migrants being bussed up there and then them being overwhelmed with um, the, uh, the migrant surge. They had no idea that Mayor Adams said that this um, immigration surge is going to bankrupt New York and cause us $12 billion. They had no idea that any of this was going on. So I'm pushing every day to um, get more invites to these um, HBCUs, whether it's student organizations, whether it's presidents that we're reaching out to, whether it's professors. I've had um, two opportunities at Dillard University and Kentucky State University, and it's been great. Um, Are are they pushing back, Andre, are they pushing back? Are the HBCUs as a group, are they open to you coming on to campus with that message? Or or do they and the students say, no, we don't want to hear it? Now, um, when... A lot of times the uh, HBCUs have been open, but there have been some that have been a little close-minded about it. And a, a no from an, an HBCU doesn't mean that I might not get on campus at all. That means that that student organization might not be interested or that professor might not be interested. But as the word keeps going out and as people have to really engage with the, um, the, the numbers of people that are coming over and the policies that will uh, affect the children's children of these students that are are in schools now, they're going to have to deal with these issues, and some of them might be open over time. So I'm, I'm going to keep pushing every day. Well, you're an optimist. I, I got to tell you, and, and I share your optimism. I want it to work. I guess what I think about is a young black man or woman going to an HBCU, and it may be that back at home, mom and dad may not be college educated or working at a college-type job. If, if they understood these illegal aliens, especially coming into our country, are taking money out of your mom and dad's pocket who are working their tail off to make sure you can go to college. Uh, maybe it would resonate better with them. But, Andre, keep up the good work for Numbers USA, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. That's Andre Barnes from Numbers USA. Glad to be with you. Always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Because you like what you hear, right? 
Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to First Amendment Friday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. Now, I want to ask you this question. What kind of totalitarian dictatorship do you think you would be in if the government was considering making a rule that encouraged people to turn in their friends, their family members, their co-workers, or even total strangers, and report them for bias incidents in which no crime has been committed. Now, you have to listen to that closely. So imagine this. Uh, there are things called bias crimes, uh, otherwise known as hate crimes. I don't agree with the idea that somehow an assault on somebody where you just simply see a criminal assault a woman because she looks like uh, she might make a good victim. She's physically small in stature because the criminal wants your money or your car or your wallet or your watch. That is not a bias crime. But if the criminal attacks you and part of the attack suggests that the reason you're attacked is you're one of any number of groups uh, based on race, religion, national origin, uh, sexual uh, orientation, uh, gender or perceived gender identity, et cetera, et cetera, that if you attack somebody that way, why, that would be a biased crime. I'm not talking about biased crimes. I'm talking about where somebody says something and you say, why, that's a, a hateful thing to say or that shows your bias, but you've actually committed no crime. Can you imagine any government that would say, we will reward people for turning in their friends, family members, co-workers, and total strangers for bias incidents in which no crime has been committed. Well, our friend Lee Finna wrote about it recently. She's director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy Center. Leave, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Lars. It's, it's a shocking development. This is Senate Bill 5427 which would create a hotline in the state attorney general's office for people to report their friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members to the state attorney general for saying things they don't like. And by the way, I mentioned the reward, and since the first time I talked about this and before I read what you'd written about it, I mentioned that they were considering in the bill, or they actually put in the bill, a proposal to re reward people for reporting these bias incidents up to $2,000 cash. I understand that's been removed now. Is that right? Well, that has been, yes, it's been withdrawn by the sponsor of the bill, Senator Monka Dingra. But you know how this goes, Lars. They, they, they remove it for these during these early days of the legislative session and then add it by an amendment during the discussion on the floor when they pass it. And, or they could just wait till next year and amend the bill to add the reward then. Just the fact that they're thinking of creating such a hotline should offend every person in that state legislature. And, you know, this introduced by this Senator Dingra is a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, this we we anyway, it's shocking well, to me. It really. The fact that she's a lawyer, Leave, is she knows that. And I've told people this. I mean, I've said, look. If, if somebody stood on their front porch and and said, you know, things that were nasty, used racial epithets uh, or characterizations of somebody's, you know, race, religion, national origin, uh, that sort of thing, uh, it's rude, it's crude. But if it's not the, the crime of intimidation, uh, if, if you've committed no crime, it's just ordinary free speech. It's, it may be offensive. It may be vulgar. It may be rude, but it's free speech. And the, the author of this bill knows that as a lawyer, doesn't she? She absolutely knows that. That's like the first 
semester in law school that you cover the First Amendment. This is First Amendment Friday. Everyone knows this in the public. So, so, so clearly, it's an effort to gain power over political opponents. That's what I see it to be. Because if they can control your speech using these pretexts, They'll, they, they'll then say, you can't say, you can't speak against your political opponents or we will report you to the state attorney general. So this is a, a direct attack on democracy. They talk about democracy. This is a direct attack on the back and forth discussion that we're supposed to be able to have in a democracy to choose the policies that will govern us. And I, I'm just amazed that this bill, this, this is like the bill that they tried to pass last year, remember? House Bill 1333 to create the domestic terrorist a task force to report moms and grandmothers uh, for showing up to school board meetings to object to, uh, you know, uh, offensive material being shown to their kids. This is the same kind of mentality. They're going to sh- silence political opponents using this pretext about hate speech. It's, it's poorly worded that the law, the law that they want to pass creates no definition of what would be hate considered hate speech for the purposes of this hotline. They're going to, they're going to collect data on people. Uh, they may leak it to the public, even though they're supposed, they're not, they say they're not going to, and they will, um, they will be using it to, uh, basically control uh, their political opponents. It's clear as day. And and leave. Senate Bill 5427, they're actually explicit in the bill, are they not? In which the bill itself says this can include expression and verbal statements. Meaning, you know, I know there are people who fault me because I call illegal aliens illegal aliens. I don't call them undocumented migrants. I occasionally call them undocumented Democrats because I think that's the political component in that. But that's an expression, and they say, well, that's hateful. So, in other words, they could turn me in and maybe even get a reward if they report me to the attorney general. And if no crime has been committed, what's the attorney general supposed to do with these reports? Well, that's exactly right. They will say that you can't use that term, and you must use the terms that we uh, find acceptable. And... It's and they will collect data and they will say there's these there's all these incidences of hate speech that's happening now. When you heard the proponents for the bill, they were talking about the dramatic growth in hate speech in the last couple of years. Well, that's just nonsense. They've created the problem in the schools in the first place with the whole DEI racism that they're teaching children how to think and how to speak. And if you don't use a certain pronoun, you are considered hateful. Oh my gosh. So this is this is a a the creating the foundations for a surveillance of the public, and it's it harkens back to totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. People do remember their history. I hope this is what this is what Stalin and Lenin did. This is what Hitler did. This is what turn the, in your parents, turn in your friends, turn in your classmates, turn in your coworkers, and make everybody suspicious of everybody. And fearful and fearful of, of what is being said about you. Absolutely right. That's Lee Finna, who is director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. And by the way, if you were report, if this bill became law and uh, and you were calling some some uh, person, you know, 
calls you into the attorney general's office and you think, well, do I get a chance to clear my name? There is no process in there to clear your name. So once the accusation is laid, there is no guilt or innocence. It's simply there and you have no way to clear your name, not one little bit. Back in just a moment. The Lars Larson Show. People say our country. It's Friday, Friday. Friday on my mind. Focus is Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. Woo! Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. Yeah, that's uh, Klaus Schwab, one of the most evil people on planet Earth. He's the guy associated as head of the World Economic Forum, which is the globalists who'd like to have one world government. And in fact, Klaus Schwab is apparently getting bold enough these days. Here's Klaus Schwab saying we've got digital technologies, and we have this predictive ability because of that. Let me tell you where that guy wants to take that. And what he's suggesting is nobody has to have elections anymore. We'll simply have everything decided by computers instead. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. If you want to jump into the conversation, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer and disagree with me, that's okay. You're more than welcome. We'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I made it clear how I feel about the World Economic Forum. It is an evil organization. It is a bunch of primarily elites elected officials, and rich folks. And what they believe, and they say it all the time, we know how to run the world. The rest of you people are just the masses, and we are going to tell you how we're going to run the world. And we will no longer, in a WEF, uh, in WEF's crazy imagination, in their fever dreams, they imagine a world where there are no more sovereign countries, there are no more people who are able to make their own decisions. Instead, instead, what they're going to do is is they're going to make the decisions for us because they're better educated. Uh, they're better able to do any of the things and make any of the decisions. So I want you to listen to this soundbite from Herr Schwab about what he imagines for the future of elections. But since the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Now, if you think that Herr Schwab is suggesting, hey, we all know that Donald Trump is going to win the Republican nomination. We all know that he's going to win the presidential election in November. Therefore, we don't have to have an election. Let's get Donald Trump into office. That is not at all what Herr Schwab has in mind. In fact, what the folks at the World Economic Forum meeting this week uh, in Davos, Switzerland, are saying is um, we are trying to protect liberal democracy. 
Now, I understand we're a republic, but we have a lot of democratic elements. We have elections. We elect our representatives. They, in theory, represent our point of view in uh, on Capitol Hill, in the White House, uh, and, and in state legislatures. Uh, if you say, well, that isn't exactly working the way it was designed to, I would agree with you. But then we had Kevin Roberts. He's the head of a group called the Heritage Foundation. I think the Heritage Foundation is generally a good organization, although they all have their flaws. But he sat down and he gave them, well, he gave them the whole nine yards. I want you to listen to part of this because he takes issue directly with the fact that this bunch of liberal elites at WEF in Davos seems to think that they have all the solutions when, in fact, Kevin Roberts of Heritage suggests, no, it's something else entirely. Take a listen. With all due respect, nothing personal, but that's your part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. And in fact, he says, you guys are part of the problem. So let's go through a few of the things that he talked about, because he took the biggest issues of the day, immigration, crime, climate change and energy generation. Take a listen to what Robert said to WEF this week. He gave it to him with both barrels about immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. And he will. That's why Herr Schwab is not saying, well, we already know who's going to win the presidential election. Why don't we just put Trump in the White House and kick Joe to the curb? And then there's the issue of crime, where WEF is the same way. If you want to know who's pushing all these policies of don't arrest people, diminish the size of police, don't prosecute people, don't put people in prison. Well, some of them are certainly represented at the World Economic Forum. Listen to what Kevin Roberts had to say to them. Elites also tell us that public safety isn't a problem in big American cities. Just travel to New York or Washington or Dallas, Texas. The average person will tell you that the lack of public safety damages not just the American way of life, but their life. President Trump will take that on. Yeah, and then you've got this, and here's the great irony of WEF. Now, they'll fly there on their private jets. They'll stay in fancy hotels. They'll sit around for a week and talk about the future they have in mind for us, whether we agree with it or not. And they will tell you, you have to give up coal-fired power, and you have to give up fertilizer to grow crops, and you have to do all this. Well, Kevin Roberts took them on on climate and energy as well. The solutions, the average person know, based on climate change, are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives, especially in Europe during the time that you need heating, than do the problem and the problems themselves. He then went on to tell them the number one adversary, not only to the United States, but more pointedly to free people everywhere on this planet is China. China has made it made no bones about it. China wants to be the dominant economic, military, and diplomatic force on planet Earth. They want to run things. Now, you'd say, well, if, if WEF is claiming that they're out there to protect liberal democracy, can you imagine anything more antithetical to liberal democracy than the communist dictatorship in China? And yet WEF is good buddies with the Chinese. They think they're great. And there's also the WHO, the World Health Organization, the folks who almost exactly three years ago, on the 14th of January, 2020, was uh, four years ago, was telling us, well, COVID, yeah, it's a problem, but we don't see any sign that it spreads from person to person. That was January 14th of the pandemic year. 
And he also pointed out that they want to force gender ideology on the world. In other words, all this gender nonsense you've been hearing about in America, you know, where young men can compete against women as women and beat them, where everybody has to say the right pronouns or you get into all kinds of trouble. And then finally wrapped up with this, because I watched the speech. I don't I don't know the language he speaks, but Javier Malay, the new head of Argentina, spoke. Listen to what Kevin Roberts says about that. I think President Trump, if in fact he wins a second term, is going to be inspired by the wise words of Javier Millet, who said that he was in power not to guide sheep, but to awaken lions. That's what the average American and the average free person on planet Earth wants out of leaders. Now, what what are we getting out of our leaders right now? When they sign up for things like the World Economic Forum, and they say, we imagine an earth without borders. In other words, no American sovereignty. I want you to just imagine what happens. The God-given freedoms and liberties we enjoy in this country are not enjoyed by the vast majority of the 8 billion people on this planet. You wipe out that border and you say American is no, America is no longer a sovereign country, the whole idea of those freedoms simply goes away so that all of us can dance to whatever tune the economic elites from WEF uh, believe in. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Glad to take your phone calls and emails in a moment. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. I want to tell you something. I've been to Washington, D.C. in January. It is a tough time of the year to go to Washington, D.C. In fact, I've been there for one, one presidential inauguration. And I tell you what, Washington, D.C. is nasty and cold this time of the year, usually. And it's nasty and cold today as the March for Life happened, one of the biggest uh, pro-life rallies in America every single year. Uh, and at the time, uh, Republicans up on Capitol Hill are working on a couple of bills uh, regarding abortion or regarding pregnancy. And I thought we'd talk to Tom Jipping about it, who's deputy director of the Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Tom, good to have you back. And since I haven't said so before, Happy New Year to you. Thank you. You too. Happy Friday. And by the way, would you mind passing along my regards? I don't know the man personally, but Kevin Roberts at Heritage did a fantastic job putting the WEF people where they belong over in uh, Davos. Uh, I yes, thought, I... <laughs> uh, it, it was a kind of a unique opportunity. We hear about billionaires and other sort of leaders speaking to that group, but uh, the Heritage president being able to do that and uh, probably saying a lot of things that a lot of them had not heard before. 
uh, was a great opportunity. I'm glad he could do it. I think my audience was really appreciative of, of what he had to say. I played some of the comments, along with the fact that Klaus Schwab of WEF is simultaneously saying, we are here to preserve democracy. And then we ran the soundbite of him saying, but now that we have AI and computers, we can just dispense with elections. We don't need to have elections anymore. Great. Your, your idea of pres- preserving democracy has some interesting attributes. As do, as do, go ahead, Tom. Sorry about that. Well, no, I was going to say, never have have so many people used the same word that they know so little about. Isn't that the truth? Democracy. And here's the thing. I know we get into endless, and people always call and say, we're not a democracy. I, I said, I know we're not a democracy. We're a federalist republic with elements of democracy that are important. I wouldn't want to have... I, I don't know. I can't even imagine how we'd have a republic like maybe like Rome's Senate or something where you don't, the people don't actually get to vote for their representatives, but they're allegedly represented by them all the same. That that one sounds like it's got problems. But let me ask you about this. And first, I'd point out the mainstream media seems capable of turning anything Republicans do into anti-abortion. So the two bills that are being pushed by Republicans, one supports pregnant college students. The other one would tell Health and Human Services, you can't limit federal funds for pregnancy resource centers. And those are both characterized by most of the mainstream media as anti-abortion. Well, I, I guess I guess they are generically because if the pregnant college student gets some help and she doesn't have to quit college and she doesn't have to have an abortion, that's anti-abortion, but in a positive way. They turn everything into anti-abortion. Yeah. You know, the, uh, just before you called, I was kind of scrolling to see what the headlines were about the March for Life today, and I was struck by exactly what you were just referring to. Uh, every single one of them said, you know, uh, anti-abortion activists and so on. The fact is, the March for Life, which has been happening since 1972, has always been called the March for Life. And it's so appropriate today because once the obstacle to promoting life in the form of Roe versus Wade has been eliminated, now the real work toward uh, promoting a culture of life can more effectively succeed. But look, uh, the, the, it's been a, a monumental achievement of spin and propaganda that Abortion advocates have been able to frame it in terms of choice and in terms of just being anti-abortion. The fact is, though, millions of people have been working for decades tirelessly uh, for the cause of life to help women uh, realize that they have options other than abortion. And, you know, God bless them. I'm so glad that they are doing that. And that's those are the people who are in Washington today. I'm talking to Tom Jipping from the Heritage Foundation. So let's take up both these bills. I want to get some more details. The bill that would support pregnant college students, how would it go about doing that? And, and how are the Democrats going to oppose that? Well, um, bo- both of these bills are, are, are of the same kind in the sense that you have on the issue of birth and of uh, women who find themselves in that situation, uh, should they have options or shouldn't they? In other words, should they only have the option of killing their offspring or should they genuinely have a choice that they can make? That supposedly has been the rhetoric of the abortion movement since the beginning, and this is the real test whether they really mean it. 
because, you know, taxpayers don't just want their money going to killing offspring. They'd like their money to also going to help uh, a positive life option. So, you know, it, are we going to discriminate in our funding and only push women in one direction, or are we going to genuinely give them a choice? It kind of does put, you know, put the lie to the idea that this is about choice because the Democrats only seem happy about choice if it's abortion. Like Henry Ford used to say, you can have any, a car in any color you want as long as it's black. And the abortion, <laughs> the, the Democrats say you can, you can have any kind of choice you want as long as the baby ends up dead. Well, look, and anybody who got dressed this morning or has ordered from a menu is pro-choice. I mean, everybody is pro-choice. The, the issue's never been about choice. The issue's always been about this choice. And as I said, it's a, it is a monumental uh, victory of propaganda and public relations that the, those who have advocated one choice have made it about all choice. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a good strategy to push back on that by providing other choices and seeing, you know, what the other side is going to do. That's what these bills are like. That's what the, uh, the pregnancy care movement has always been about. Uh, in the town where I grew up in, in Holland, Michigan, uh, for more than 30 years, there's been a, a pregnancy center that's now called Positive Options. My, my mother, when she was alive, she, she sewed more than a 1,000 baby blankets over 25 years uh, for that center. That's why they call it that, positive options. And, uh, it, and that's the way, I think, to approach how to promote a culture of life. Now, do the Republicans have the backbone? Uh, I'm, I, I have questions about whether they have backbones at all, but do they have backbone to pass these two bills, send them over to the Senate, even if you say, well, we know what the Senate's going to do with them, fine, make them vote on it. I mean, you know, I would hope senators would say, okay, we'll vote, we'll vote them down and, and get them on the record as saying, we're not in favor of helping pregnant college students keep their baby and finish school, and we're not in favor of pregnancy resource centers. Can, can they well, do that? Well, there's, there's a lot of chapped fingers in Washington <laughs> where, you know, they're putting their finger to the wind and seeing which way it's blowing, and we all know that, the issue of how to frame the abortion issue is a touchy one, and Republicans are scared. They're afraid of, of taking a you know, particularly strong position. They'd rather avoid it and all of that. But this is the way to go. This is the right way to, to frame it in a way that will actually help people, actually expose what, what politicians' positions on these issues are. So I hope that uh, it's not about a, an abortion ban. I hope that Republicans can see that this is a good strategy, that, that that's how they ought to do it. Now, I, I worked in the Senate for 15 years. I know that there are limited ways for the minority to, quote, force the Senate to do X, Y, or Z. Yep. However... Let's hope they get it done. Tom, thank you for the time. I'm up against a break, but that's Tom Jipping from the Heritage Foundation. We'll be back in a moment with your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show.
This is the story of a... Saying the things you wish you could say. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. As we say, we promise that this is the best conversation in talk journalism, and you can be part of it. If you disagree with my point of view on something or something I've said, I'm glad to have you call and do your best to counter my arguments. And if I'm not ready for that, then my argument's not ready either. In any case, glad to have you do that. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. You know, there's something I've been me- I meant to mention it yesterday. I don't follow football that closely. I mean, if you listen to the show, you know, it's not that I'm against sports. It's just I'm I'm not the kind of dedicated fan in either basketball or baseball or football or certainly not soccer. Uh, but don't get me started on soccer. But uh, there was something I saw and I thought this really bore some mention. And uh, in fact, it was brought up by a couple of my favorite websites. There's a young guy by the name of C.J. Stroud. And he is 22 years old. And by all accounts, he is an absolute phenomenally great NFL player. And he was the youngest starting quarterback to win an NFL playoff game. So there he is at the end of the game. And, of course, at the end of any big football game, you want to be able to, you know, to interview the quarterback. So NBC News has a reporter walk up to C.J. Stroud and they, they talk to him. And they say, well, what about, you know, you just won this big game. I want you to, I want to play the soundbite before NBC got to it. And then I'll play it to you after NBC's editors got to it. This is what this young man did and said to the reporter right after winning the big game. Take a listen. CJ, your first playoff game in your first NFL season and a record-setting performance for you. What does this moment mean? First and foremost, I just want to give all glory and praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's been amazing being in this city. Now, that's what he said. So he first gives credit to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by all accounts, this is a young man who not just plays great football, but apparently he's not. he doesn't make it a secret at all about his faith in, in God and in Jesus Christ. Listen to what happened to the soundbite after NBC's editors got done with it. CJ, your first playoff game in your first NFL season and a record-setting performance for you. What does this moment mean? I mean, it's been amazing being in this city. Kind of sounds different, doesn't it? Now, I don't know. Maybe it's the godless heathens at NBC News who just can't resist this, but... I understand. I used to work in television. Did you have to edit sound bites for time? Yes, you did. But if you ask this young man, what does this win mean for you? And the first words out of his mouth are to credit his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I happen to agree with him um, in this case. So I, I, you could accuse me of having a dog in the fight because I'm a Protestant Christian. And I feel the same way as he does about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the idea that American media is so anti-religion, and I don't for the life of me understand why, other than my usual theory that the people who populate most of the big television networks, both those on cable and those that broadcast over the air, are godless heathens. But the idea that you'd say, what does this mean to you? And he tells you that wasn't some preparatory remark or fumbling for words. 
He said, this means something, but I want to give credit first to this. And they decide to take that part out, saying later, well, we did that because we didn't have enough time to carry that. Instead, we wanted to just carry the rest of the soundbite, you know, the one where he's not talking about his faith in his Christianity. I think that's offensive uh, because the major media needs to understand this is a country founded by Christians. Christians who, by the way, I keep pointing out, the founders of this country, all Christians, said, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God. And anybody who tells me that Washington was a deist, I'd read you a few of his most famous speeches and prayers, in fact, where he debunks that whole notion. But those founders said, we want a country where everybody of any faith is welcome, and they wrote it in the Constitution. They also said, we want it written in the Constitution that there shall be no religious test for public office. They probably could have gotten away with saying, well, We only want Christians to be in the Congress, the presidency, senators, representatives, governors, or whatever. They didn't do that. They said, you can you can run for public office, you can vote, you can do anything you want, no matter what your faith is, even if you have none. But now we've turned from that kind of country, one that welcomes every religion on planet Earth, into one in which the major media and far too many people on the left Uh, are simply willing to dispense with the religion, saying we want it out of the public sphere altogether, and I think that's wrong. Let's go to Naysayer John. Hey, John, welcome to the program. We love naysayers on this program. What do you and I disagree about that uh, makes you a naysayer today? Well, the idea that there are some jobs that Americans don't like to do, and we've got a lot of young, strong, uh, illegal aliens coming here, and when they cross the border, they're being signed up for selective service according to the law. Uh, I think they can become boots on the ground and be willing to fight for this country. By You would force them to do that? No, I'm not talking about force, but, you know... You're just saying offer them the chance as illegal aliens to join the military, even though right now the military does not take illegal aliens at all. Well, I'll, I'll, whether you're a, mer- uh, a citizen or not, you sign up for s- selective service. Yes, correct? you are. The law says that every male between the age of 19 and 26 has to sign up for selective service. Doesn't mean they'd ever be put in the military because if they're not legally in the country. I'll repeat it one more time. There isn't a single branch of the service that takes illegals. They will take green card holders who are here legally. And lately they've taken some people from the DACA crowd, but that those aren't those people aren't here legally. That was an illegal action by President Barack aren't, Obama. Aren't they, aren't they aren't they aren't they being signed up for selective service when they cross the border? Uh, no, as far as I know, they are the not being says, signed. Now, the law says that once they're here, if they're between the ages of 19 and 26, they're required by federal law to sign up. But are they being signed up at the border? I see no indication of that at all. Here's the incentive. They can have amnesty if they uh, join the military, maybe. No. John, incentive. why would you... Listen, do you think I'd be right in characterizing the vast majority of people who cross the border illegally? Number one, they're criminals. Number two, they're not necessarily well-educated at all. Number three, they may not know the language at all. Why would you throw that kind of burden on the U.S. military saying, we want you to take people who don't necessarily know the language, don't necessarily even have a high school, hold on, hold on, high school or junior high education, but we want you to take on the job of training them for a job when they're not even starting with the basics that a kid out of high school in America has. Why would you do that to our military? Well, if they're not willing to fight for this country, they should go home. No, if they're here illegally, they should go home, right? 
Well, if, if they want to. No, honestly, answer yeah, my I'll, question. I'll if they are here illegally, should they leave? Well, uh, Biden's not going to do that. No, he's not. But the replacement president who comes in, Donald Trump, in January will be doing that. Let's go to Patrick. Hey, Patrick, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Kevin Guinness. Hello, Hello, Patrick. Hey, how you doing? Quite hey, well. Uh, What's on your mind? You know, uh, over the last few days, of course, as you know, we had the Trump trial. And uh, the person that was trying to get him kicked off of there, had a, I had a quite a little run-in with her in, in Olympia. Um, oh, the teacher who's trying to get Trump thrown off the ballot yeah. in Washington State, yeah. even though the U.S. Supreme yeah. Court, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide that case anyway, which means everything that's being done in Maine, in Colorado, in every other state where there's a lawsuit is going to be meaningless once the Supreme Court decides, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, she, she's just typical, you know, liberal uh, hate, you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Patrick, thanks for the call on First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want to put this to you this way. Joe Biden absolutely loves to lie. I mean, there's no other way to explain how one man has managed to plagiarize and lie so many times before he even became vice president, then lie as vice president. And now that he's president of the United States, he occupies the office. He's lying like a rug. And now we're finding out that an awful lot of the things he lied about, especially those things he lied about involving his son, Hunter, you know, the coked up son who bought guns in violation of laws that Joe Biden says he's in favor of. Joe Biden wants gun control. How about some gun control on your coked up son, Hunter? And I've got a couple of little details of that as well, including what the FBI knew they had when they took Hunter's gun into possession and then examined the bag it was contained in and found cocaine. And the FBI has apparently known about that for years and did nothing about it. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go first. And you can vote in our poll on X. Should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, or sporting goods end up on the terror watch list? Well, turns out, that Representative Jim Jordan, member of Congress and the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, has demanded to get more information about why the FBI and the DOJ were asking American banks to track anybody among their customers who bought Bibles, who made any kind of uh, transactions involving terms like MAGA or Trump, uh, who also bought things like sporting goods at Bass Pro shops, uh, Shops, places like that, that Jordan says that the government sought to track ordinary citizens not suspected of any crime 
because their purchases of Bibles and their purchases of firearms at sporting goods stores made them possible violent extremists, and that uh, those people who were in that status didn't even get notified by the government that they were on that list, nor is there any kind of due process way to get off the list if you did nothing wrong. On that note, let me take a call first, and then I'll talk about some of Joe's lies. Hey, Don, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, this is the same thing you're just talking about. I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment. As such, I receive... uh mail from all the different organizations that are trying to protect it and they just like me they they send out flyers that they they want you to sign and uh, send it back to them so they could give it to the legislators and they give it to all the legislators not just the second amendment supporters so what's keeping that name and address sacred absolutely nothing don and then uh, i'm assuming that you're like me occasionally you buy uh, things at, at the sporting goods store. I don't shop at Dick's because Dick's became about as anti-Second Amendment as you can imagine. Uh, but I have no objection to Bass Pro Shops nor Cabela's. But uh, but it turns out, you know, to find out from a member of Congress that the uh, government in the form of the FBI and the DOJ were asking banks to track their own customers and tell the government if their customers bought Bibles. And that one should, I mean, that one by itself. If they just said, we want you to tell us if any citizens are out there buying Bibles, that should be so far off limits that people should get fired. Except at this point, I don't have any great confidence that the government is going to go after these people who commit these kinds of crimes against uh, against American citizens. If you've done nothing wrong and you buy a Bible and the government says that means you should be tracked as a possible violent extremist, the people who did that within our government should be fired and if possible, tried for criminal invasion of people's privacy. What what should we make of that, Don? I think we should do something like that. I, I don't know what, what to do about uh, signing these documents and sending them off to the legislators. I think you should go ahead and exercise your right to petition. Your, all you're doing is what is actually mentioned in the Constitution, the right of citizens to petition their government for redress of grievances, a fancy way of saying Don, if you're in favor of the Second Amendment, you don't want laws passed that get in the way of you owning or bearing arms, uh, then then you should you should go ahead and sign those. And I think what they should do is find the people behind these surveillances that were done of citizens who, in most cases, were not suspected of any crimes at all. I mean, this is almost to use that, you know, that, like that science fiction movie, uh, Minority Report, where they imagined a future where people would be tagged that based on on what they thought you were going to do, that if this person is buying Bibles and guns and ammunition and things like that, they might someday commit a crime. You don't get to arrest or even surveil people because of what you might do. You have to go after people for what they actually did do. And Congressman Jim Jordan has pointed out they found evidence that the government was doing exactly that and that you're, if you, we find out the banks that, that at all cooperated in this kind of nonsense, and it's amazing the number of institutions that have said, sure, we cooperate with the government all the time. If they ask us to open up a cell phone, we open the cell phone up for them, or we give them information about their cell phone records or their Internet, uh, their IP records. In that case, 
I would hope that those those private institutions, those banks, suffer badly as their customers flee from them. Now, let me get back to Joe Biden's lies, though. So what we have in the last couple of weeks is Joe Biden's Department of Justice that has confirmed something that a lot of us have already known for years, that Hunter Biden's so-called laptop from hell is, in fact, fully legitimate and is not Russian disinformation. And why is that important? Well, because Joe Biden... At, at the time when he was a candidate, was saying over and over again, he was being asked about the laptop from hell. And what did he tell people? Well, let me read some of the quotes from him because it tells the whole tale. In the 2020 presidential debate, in one of them, there were three, he said, a Russian plant, a bunch of garbage, nobody believes it. Then in October of 2020, he said, this is a smear. There's overwhelming evidence from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. He's talking about the laptop from hell. Uh, Again, in October of 2020, Joe Biden, then a candidate, said it's another smear campaign. And one more time in October of that year, it's a last ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and smear my family. And then he finally said one more comment uh, before the election. Putin is trying very hard to spread disinformation about Joe Biden. It's a smear campaign. Now, that was Biden referring to himself in the third person. And then after the election in December of 2020, Biden said, yes, yes, yes. When he asked if he still believes the laptop was a Russian smear campaign. And we know it's Hunter Biden's laptop because at one point more than two years ago, Hunter Biden's attorneys went to the courts and said, that laptop, we want it returned to our client. Their client in that case was Hunter Biden. When your own lawyer is saying that laptop belongs to our client, it's pretty hard to pretend that it does not. I'm not afraid of social media. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and email talk at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show.